0: Hope. Haven't we had some amazing weather? Eh? It's probably been some of the best weather I've known for a long time. Back in the beginning, in Genesis, God made Adam and He made Eve. And He said, Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. The family, as defined by God, is His idea from the get-go. And a famous person once said, as the family goes, so goes the nation. So I had a little Google around to see what's going on recently and in the past, and a couple of um, points that came up. I was reading the Orange Canyon Register and the LA Times, and they had all sorts of different stories examining the meaning of family values. Can you just pop the next slide on? That'd be great, Chris, thanks. Here's another one. Why family values matter and why traditional families are still best. And the LA Times is not known for its conservative stand. They've had enough of liberalism, and they say, traditional family. Another one, um, which is the next one, here's a good one. For years, one of the problems has been, okay, family values, yeah, but whose values? The world's values, how they value family, or God's values? And for years, family values have been in a vacuum since the 1960s, where basically anything went. The controls were lifted, the guidelines and the boundaries were lifted, and now we're reaping the results. I did some current checking with the stats department this week, so these you can take home and bank. It is, and if anybody ever, uh, facts are great. Opinions are many. And most of the time, worthless. Facts are hard to come by and they take some time to dig up. Here's the first one. One third of marriages here in New Zealand end in divorce. It is not half. I haven't got time to go into the statistical reasons why it is one third. So you can remember that. So somebody says half, say no, a third. Second, this one is a shocker. Every second child born in New Zealand is to an unwed mother. That shocked me. And I even rang them up and checked I wasn't reading this wrong. Every second child. Things have changed. And one in every three New Zealanders felt very lonely in the last four weeks. Just what's going on. Because people are isolated. People are starting to see now the value of family. And the reason why is the cost of not valuing family has forced them to see it. But again, nobody defines family values. I've taught my kids, whenever you have a debate, the first thing you need to be clear on is your terms. So nobody defines these values. And have you noticed what I have is that it's PC to say, well, I believe in family values, but this is where it becomes un-PC when you get specific about what they are. The moment you get to specifics, you're running into against the grain. I mean, just look at even the TV. The values that are portrayed on TV. Mind you, not many people, not many young people watch TV these days. They're typically on their phones, but again, the same principle is there. Now, thousands of years ago, God gave values these are not fads that will last as long as some politician or some, some activist pushes but these are values that are based in the eternal wisdom of God and because they're in his wisdom they will never change I like that things I can count on and by the way it is the foundation of our judicial and legal system today Now I want you to look at the very first, the very first verse on the Scriptures with fresh eyes. Father, before we do this today, I pray that your Spirit would open our eyes to see new things and to change us to be more like you. I ask this in Jesus' name and all the people said, Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 on the screen. Okay, let's read this together aloud with an enthusiastic voice. Let's go. Never forget these commands that I am giving you. Teach these to your children. Let's try that again because half of you are asleep. <laughs> okay, let's go. Never forget these commands I'm giving you. Teach these to your children. Okay, he says two things there. What's the first one? Never Great, we're awake. We're getting some action now. Now that is brilliant. Never forget. And then the second thing he says is what? Well, does it teach them to your children? So here's the first question. I thought, for fun this morning, we have a quick pop quiz. You've got one minute to write down the 12 commandments. Go. Ah, oh, I'm glad you're awake. I'm going like to get a bite. Go. Oh, are you sure? <laughs> the 12 commandments. <laughs> Oi! No conferring, no cheating over there. (laughs) This is group therapy. (laughs) Thirty seconds left. Each of you should be able to do this. Come on, drag that back from Sunday school. Fifteen seconds left. Oh, I put that smart phone away, Martin. <laughs> okay, time out. Okay. Now, everybody, look up this way. Let us read this verse again aloud together. Never forget these commands that I am giving you. First question is, do you know the Ten Commandments? Could you teach them to your children? And of course the implication is, if you don't know them, how can you teach them? But there's a very strong, emphatic imperative here. Never forget these. First point today. Maybe that's something you can take away straight away from this message. I will commit to memorizing the Ten Commandments. That's a practical application. Why? Because you're doing then what the Bible says. The Bible says it's the doers of the word, not the hearers. See, many of you have heard about the Ten Commandments for some of you 5, 10, 20 years. But I have a serious concern if we can't recite them. Could your children, now the second part, teach these to your children. How are we doing on that part? Let's not rush off and get next to next and move over this one quickly. And I'm feeling pained. Could your children, because that's what God says here, could they quote them back to you? Because that's what that verse says. This is God's word. This is not my idea. This is His word. This is how we get in trouble. We listen, but we don't do and apply the Word of God. And as long as I am alive, I want to be a doer of the Word of God. You see, I would suggest to you today that your job as a parent or a future parent is to leave a legacy of values, not valuables. The valuables are a total waste unless they're undergirded by strong values. I think there's a parable about that. One of the guys got a whole bunch of money. And what did he do with it? He blew it. On wine, women, and song. Why did God give Ten Commandments? He gave them to help us, not to hurt us. He gave them to protect us, not to punish us. And you know that as parents. Every time I told my children, don't touch the stove, I did that for their good. I wasn't trying to be a meanie by saying, don't do that. And every time God says, I don't, in the Bible, it is for our benefit. It has a positive purpose. In the same way that you, as loving parents, have told your children, be careful, don't do that. So the Ten Commandments were given for our benefit. And if we choose to ignore them, it hurts us. And God has set in certain In motion, certain physical laws in this universe. For example, the law of gravity. He said that. It's constant. If you ignore the law of gravity, you will not hurt the law of gravity. You will hurt you. If you jump out of a 10-story building, you don't break God's laws. They break you. So likewise, we have physical laws. There are also spiritual laws. Now, I want you to notice something with fresh eyes this morning. These are not called the 10 suggestions. And there's a really good reason for that. Because this wisdom is unchangeable. In fact, psychiatrists are saying, back in the 60s, there were zero boundaries. And we're all mature here. So I can say that. It was free sex, do what you want, whatever makes you happy. Now they're saying, whoa, we need boundaries for emotional and relational health. We need parameters, otherwise we breed very insecure people. And by the way, just a side by side, we'll get to that later on in the series, these Ten Commandments are given in order, and that order is not happenstance. So I want to look today at the foundation for a strong family. And let's read this first one aloud. From Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. The first one says this, You shall have no other gods before me. And the principle here that we want to underline is we need to put God first. In my life and in my family. Put God first. He deserves to be number one. And by the way, there can only ever be one number one, obviously. He made you. And everything you have in your life, every breath in your lung, every thought that you have, is because of God. Now what does it mean by no other gods? Notice it's a small g. What is a God? Yeah, anything that God... Dominates or controls your life. Can your career be a God? Absolutely. Can golf be a (laughs) God? Absolutely. How about another person? Oh, yeah, another person can be a God. Even good things if you give them first place. And at the beginning of the year is an opportune time to look at who or what has got first place in your life and mine. So today we're going to look at the right foundation. And the right foundation is put God first. We sung about a foundation today. Christ, the cornerstone. That means that's the one that's dead square, dead level, and everything else is built upon the top of that. If it's not, the higher up you get, eventually the whole thing collapses. So building the foundation is never glamorous. In the old days, Robert, today you've got it easy. In the old days, guys like me had to dig foundations by hand. I've dug foundations for churches, entire churches. The one in Howick and Bed Street, one in Tauranga. I've dug foundations for houses by hand with a friend of mine called John Warwick. Bless his heart. We didn't have hose like that in those days that could dig it all out for us. It's not very glamorous. It's hard. But if you try to bypass laying a solid foundation, eventually your building will not last and stand the test of time. And you realize that the establishment of the foundation is the most important thing in the entire process. So today, many families are crumbling. Why? Because they are built on the wrong foundation. So today, what we're going to do about that is we're going to look at that foundation, have a really good examination of that cornerstone, putting God first in your life and in the life of your family. Now every time God gives a principle, I love this, he gives a promise. Here's one right here. Here's a promise. In everything that you do, put God first and he will direct you. And you'll crown your efforts a success. Now I did a bit more research on this one again today as it applies to family, Christian family. And let me give you something from a secular university It's well written up. I spent a while reading the study. Christopher Ellison at the University of Texas in San Antonio said this, one in three marriages end in divorce. Similar in America, by the way. But, and this is a big but, in the nice sense of the word, when couples pray together on a daily basis, listen to that, on a daily basis, less than 1% of those couples end up getting a divorce. Now, would you say that's a little different than one and three? Maybe that gives you some inspiration. Put God first in your marriage and your family. But then how do you do this practically? So what I've done is I've built a quick acrostic, T. F-I-R-S-T. first in your finances, interests, relationships, schedule, and troubles. Let's go. If you're not married, you can still use this because it's a key to putting God first. Five areas of priority that we need to establish first. Finances. Let's start with the most difficult one. Now I want you to read, not my opinion, not some other pastor's opinion. What, my opinion doesn't really matter. What matters is what God says. Let's look at what he says here. Honour the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. See, it's the first part. First part of all your income, not the last part. And he will fill your barns to overflow. Now, for whatever reason, I didn't say this, God did. God has made money a major acid test of our priorities. Doesn't matter whether I'm a university student over here, and I know I know what that's like to have less than $10 in the bank. And God says, I get a job and I get some income for my digging of the ditches. And then I pay my $300 tithes when I get that money come in. I know what that's like as a student. But let me tell you, God has always provided our needs. Your spending patterns reveal what is important to you. You make those choices, what you spend your money on. That's entirely your choice. But what you actually do reveals your priorities. Not what you say is important, but how you spend your money. Notice this verse. This is where it comes to us again, what Jesus says. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your lives. That's straight from the Scriptures. Some of you need to go back and have a read of that, and then talk to God about that. Tithing is putting the first 10% of all I make. The purpose is to put God first. That's what it says there in the Scriptures, see? Now, why is it important? Because if I'm not tithing, God really isn't first in my life. I am, or whoever it is that, that those finances are going to. What are you doing your bit? Doesn't matter whether you're on a, on, on a student income or a retiring income. God doesn't matter. He actually looked at the widow who had a mite. He notices that. We can't get away from that. As much as it is so un-PC, it's biblically correct to look at that area. If God is number one in your life, it will impact your finances. So when? The Bible says this, on the first day of every week, you should put aside something of what you've earned and use it for the offering. So what does he say? On the first day, which is when? And back then, it was on the Sabbath or the Sunday at church. See, tithing is an act of worship and Sunday is a day that you worship. Now, you ought to give to tear fund or whoever else you support. That's fine. It's a very worthy and generous and really good cause. But that is not tithing. Tithing is an act of worship that you do when you worship. Second, finances interest. What does that mean? Well, it's my fun time. My playtime. It means my recreations and my hobbies. Notice the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whether it's fishing. I love fishing. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So everything you do, you can do with an attitude of gratitude. And you can tell what a person's priorities are by what they talk about and what they get excited about. question. What do you get most excited about? Is it about your next house that you want to buy? Is it about your investments? What do you get excited by? This is your interests, it's what you talk about, what you think about, what owns a lot of your real estate in your head. Some people who can talk for hours on the phone or on Facebook and talk about other people or whatever's going on there, my question is, do they look, if you look at the proportion of time, there's 100%, what proportion of that time gets spent talking about the Lord? Or is it business, whatever it may be? What portion of our time gets spent talking about Jesus? Why should I bring that up? Because that's exactly what Paul brings up here in Ephesians 5.19. It says, talk with each other much about the Lord. See, it's very easy to talk about the maintenance, the things that need fixing, the news, some scandal. But the Bible says, hey, we are a different people. Talk with each other much about the Lord. Now, if he's first in your life, you're going to make him part of your conversation. For example, when I was engaged to Kimberly, we were about 330 miles away from each other. She was up here. I was way in the boonies in Palmerston North. And if I was imagining, oh, I'm down there. If I never brought Kimberly up in my conversation with my friends, that'd be pretty weird, wouldn't it? I'm engaged to her. There'd be something wrong. Same point. Does the Lord come up in your conversations? I'm not, I'm not talking in some obnoxious way. Those of you who know me know that. I'm not bringing up in some stupid, weird, wacko way. I'm talking about as part of your conversation. What about with your wife and your husband? Does it ever come up? Do you ask what your spouse is reading? What is the Lord saying to you? What has what, encouraged you in the Bible recently? Do you have those conversations? If he's first in your life, you're going to make God part of your conversation and you will not be ashamed to talk about him like I wasn't ashamed to talk about Kimberly. In fact, by the time I got there, everybody was busting to meet her because they'd already heard a lot about her. I built a sense of anticipation. So finances, interests. Third, relationships. First, if I are. Relationships. If you want to keep God first, you will have to choose your relationships very carefully. Some relationships will completely waste your time and take you in a direction which God does not want you to go in. I'm just telling you. What a man is really like, the Bible says, is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. And one of the friends, some of the friends that you choose, ought to have the kingdom's priorities as numero uno. Otherwise, it's all coffee or beer and Skittles. Life's just for fun. That's not what God's plan for your life is all about. There's more than that. And why does he say this? What well, a man is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Why is that important? Why does having good friends, and what does having good friends having to do with putting God first in my life? Well, because you become like people you hang around with. And if you spend time, people, spend a lot of time, now listen carefully, with people who take God lightly. You will become a casual Christian. And my, my words, if you do that consistently, you will no longer be in church in two, three, four years. You'll be gone. So, But if you spend time with people who are committed to the Lord and take Him seriously... those people encourage you to become more like him. And by the way, as that famous quote from C.S. Lewis said, there's one thing Christianity can never be. What is that? Moderately important. It's either it demands you all, or forget it. There is no middle ground. Those of you who are parents... I have a question to you. What type of people are you exposing your children to? Who are you setting up as role models so they can have input into their lives? Or who do you invite deliberately into your home? Same for grandchildren. If you are serious about building good values in your kids, then you ought to be inviting people into your home that model of behavior that you want your kids to have. You can do that deliberately. And if you don't provide a good role model, you know where they're going to get from? School, TV, or the internet. They're going to think that's the default. So invite those over who will provide that good role model for your kids. The Bible says this, a righteous man is cautious in friendships, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And one of the most Subtle ways that Christians can be led astray is being, having very casual friendships that are not going anywhere near the kingdom's values. And eventually, it has its effect on you. And it waters you down. Until the end, Jesus classifies that type of Christian as lukewarm. And then he has some interesting things to say about a lukewarm Christian. If you want God to be first in your life, there are some relationships, let me be real clear, that are dead wrong. Dead wrong. Many times I've seen dynamic, potential-filled Christians get wooed away by a person who does not share their Christian values. And then ends end up, post-the-fact, knowing they're doing the wrong thing, marrying non-Christians. I've seen that. And I've found it's always easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. Finances, interests, relationships, first in my, this is a big one, schedule. Schedule. Put God first in my schedule this year. The Bible says this, make the best use of your time. I love this one. Grasp firmly. Grasp firmly. In other words, get a grip. Get a grip. It'll slip out of your hand otherwise. Grasp firmly what you know to be the will of the Lord. Well, we've seen some of the things already to be the will of the Lord. The very first verse on your outline was the will of the Lord. See, sometimes people say, I don't know what the will of the Lord is. Well, particularly right now, today, there's one thing you know for sure. That very first verse, never forget. Make the best use of your time. Grasp firmly what you know to be the will of the Lord. How? Well, you ask God to help you use your time wisely. Well, how do you do that? Well, what I do, I I just make a, whatever you do is up to you. But some of you might be wondering how. Well, what I tend to do is I tend to make a list. Believe it or not, I still use pen and paper because I find those digital devices, there's still much of a barrier there. For me, I write a list. And when I spend time in my quiet time, I have that sitting there because inevitably I'm reading in the Bible, and ping, something will come into mind, stick it on the list, Ta-da-da-da-da, carry on with the Bible. Ping, something else comes in and put on there, and then before I finish my quiet time, I ask the Lord. I said, Lord, this list is often I'm saying words like ridiculously long. Would you help me choose today the things that you want me to get done, and to deprioritize the other ones? Would you agree that you don't have time to do everything? Of course. Selection is the name of the game. And here is a very important point. You only have enough time to do God's will. And if you're getting frustrated with too many things to do, you need to stop and say, God, you are first in my schedule. What do you want me to do today? One of the biggest temptations that I'm discovering all around the place, doesn't matter whether you're 60 or whether you're 14, the biggest trap I'm finding is people, when they first bounce out of bed, is they head straight for their phone. What's come in, any text messages, what's on Facebook, and boom, their time with God is gone. Their mind, they've given their first their clear mind, straight to this device. The issue isn't the device. The issue is my heart. The issue is where do I want to go? And I've determined, and maybe you wanted to think about this yourself this year, as part of your putting God first in your schedule, you say, I will not touch my phone at all, or email, or any electronic device until I have opened the scriptures and talked to the lover of my soul. Jesus felt this need. Look what he did. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, Jesus got up. And he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now it is possible, and I know this, to be so busy that you forget to have time with God. Would anybody else admit that, apart from me? Yeah. The first part, those of you who admit it, God will grant you grace because you're not prideful to say that. But I want you to notice this next verse. Some of you have forgotten this verse or never even read it. Jeremiah 2 verse 32. It says this. Does a maiden forget her jewelry and a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. At the beginning of the year, Why don't you take this moment as a point of inflection to think about what can I do differently this year? Maybe it's not working at home. Maybe the kids are yelling. Whatever it may be, it doesn't work if I stay late. So go to work earlier. That worked for me in a season of my life. I'd go to work earlier and spend the time in the office with the door shut. (laughs) Nobody else was there. Nobody bugged me. The phones weren't going. That worked for me. Whatever works for you, just make sure God gets the first bite. Or sometimes, at different other times in my life, it's been lunchtime. That was a time for me. I remember at Auckland University, I'd go up the clock tower. Nobody even used to go up the top there. i find a spot that nobody ever would bother me. I rung, around 55,000 people buzzing around, but nobody knew there was a place up there. I could be by myself at Auckland Uni. That worked for me there. Whatever it is, I also encourage you... Mums and dads and grandpas, say a brief prayer around the table. It doesn't have to be long, but it's a visual demonstration to God that even though I may be starving, hungry, I'm still going to put God first <laughs> before I dive in. And then lastly, finances, interests, relationships, schedule. And lastly, and the big one, this one, because it's going to come, troubles, troubles, F-I-R-S-T. When you face unexpected problems and trials, that's what I'm talking about. God says, turn to me first when you have a problem. Many people, when they're in a tight spot, it's the, it, it's the last thing they do. They do everything but pray. And they say, ah, well, I guess all I can do now is pray. Well, how about at the beginning of the year, we swap that around and we do that first. Call upon me. Look at this verse. Call upon me in your day of trouble. Boy. I'm very associated with that word, trouble. And I'll deliver you and you will honor me. Don't carry it all yourself, he's saying there. I didn't make you to carry it all yourself. Because your anxiety will go up, your peace will go down. See, worry is a warning light that God is not first in your life. If you have a problem with worry, the moment you start worrying, you're trusting more in yourself than you are in God. When I start worrying, I am assuming full responsibility for things I don't have perfect control of. And logically, that's insanity. That's a recipe for a disaster. When I start worrying about and taking full responsibility for things I don't have full control of, that includes some of your older children. When God isn't first in any of these five areas, first in my finances, I worry about them. First in my relationships, I worry about them. And interests and schedule. How am I gonna get it all done? Well, first of all, not everything's worth doing. And then finally, first in my problems. If he's not first, if I don't put him first, my problems overwhelm me. What we need is God to be number one in all those areas. So verse I didn't put in your outline, but it's up here on the screen. So don't worry about having enough food and clothing, why be like the heathen? That's a strong word. For they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned about them. But your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well what you need, uh, that you need them. And he will give them to you if you give him first place in your life. And, li- and that's a big and, conjunction. Both have to be true. And live as he wants you to do. Now notice in the middle of that sermon on worry. This is a sermon on worry if you read it in context there. He says something very interesting. Seek first the kingdom of God. So what he's saying there is the antidote worry to, to worry is to put God First. Trust God in these areas of my life. Notice they're very practical. Food, clothing, shelter. So if you want to build a successful life and a strong family, you've got to have a strong foundation. Back to the digging. You've got to put God first. Not the world's values first. The biblical, eternal values. And I want to close now with a special challenge to the men. As I was praying this week, I just felt I needed to do this, especially for the men. I want to challenge you, men, at the beginning of the year to do the right things for your own life with God and the right things for your family. To say that I am not ashamed to build my life on God's values that will last, to build on the right foundation. In other words, I want God to be first in my finances, first in my interests, first in my relationships, first in my schedule, not be pushed around by the demands of this world, and first, I'm going to run to you first when I'm in trouble. Believing that when I follow the principle, God will keep his promise and bless my efforts with success. Whenever I put him first. Now I think there are some men here who would like to say that today. But I want to be number one in my life. If I'm married, my marriage and my family, I want to build on those principles. So, as we close, as a public statement, if that's you, I would like to ask you to stand up as a man to indicate that is your desire. If that's you, stand and I want to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed. Father, I honor you, Lord, today. We honor you. And I honor these men who are standing right now. We know, Lord, that we need your help. And the help of those around us. Now, with our heads still bowed, if you... Our a wife or of one of these men standing, you may just want to reach over, grab their hand as a symbol and saying, I want to join with your commitment and to build a family, not only ours, but in the families to come on God's values. And by joining today and standing today, you are saying, God, I want you to be first in our finances, first in our interests, first in our relationships, first in our schedules, and first, Lord, we're going to come to you when we're in the cactus in trouble. Father, thank you that only by the power of Jesus Christ can we obey these commandments that you gave us to do. Thank you that you make all the difference in our lives and we pray that this commitment will cause us to open our hearts to the things you'd have to say to us in the days ahead. Lord, may we run strong, run hard, and finish strongly. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you.